Hey, it's John Schwartz here from Canberra MMA. Uh, welcome, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to this. Um, today it's a bit of a, um, a Canberra martial artist profile. So we've got um, a long friend of mine, a long training partner of mine, uh, and he's many things to many people, uh, Christian Barry. So from a martial arts side of things, this dude's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he came up in New York practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu there and was at one of um, the most now famous gyms in the world, the Henzo Gracie Academy, and he was there during the early days of it. And he's just got some really fascinating stories about that. Um, and for you nerds of martial arts like me, uh, an interesting fact about Christian, which he doesn't share that often, is that he was actually the man that introduced uh, John Danaher to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They were studying philosophy together. Um, and John Danaher is now this um, super phenom Jiu-Jitsu MMA coach. Um, so it's a funny little fact there. It kind of ties into uh, one of Christian's other areas where he's really interesting is that the guy's a philosopher. He's a, a professor of philosophy. He's been the uh, head of the discipline of philosophy at um, the Australian National U University here in Canberra. Um, and so we talk today about his background, um, we talk about his philosophy, we talk about his study, um, he's written books, he's written articles, he's done sort of all, all, all sorts of cool things and um, it's just a really interesting profile because um, uh, I imagine both the worlds that he walks in, uh, each doesn't kind of really know about the other side of him. Um, so it was really fun for me to sit down and have a chat to him about all these different sides and, and aspects. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it too. One, uh, what do you call it? A housekeeping note. We are no Ryan today. So Ryan's doing good things. He, when we recorded this, he was um, driving our students to and from Sydney. He was taking them interstate for a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition, uh, which is one of the nice things Ryan has the tendency of doing is he just helps people on on these kind of journeys that they're on and he loves it because um, I, I think he he knows how much um, it's sort of helped him and he loves to help other people doing it so he's not here today but he'll be back for the next one I'm sure um, and yeah so I hope you enjoy it um, so Christian Barry enjoy what I try to do with these conversations is talk to people who, who are into martial arts or connected somehow or connected to jiu-jitsu but um, I've just been finding and particularly with you is like there are all these people who just have these fascinating other parts of their life going on that I feel like most people looking in from the outside and thinking about martial arts wouldn't connect the two at all like to think that there's a professor of philosophy or the person who used to be the head of philosophy at a, a, a well-regarded university, also being super into um, martial arts and being a black belt and training with a lot of these guys who, like, you can see on the TV in the UFC and stuff like that. Like it's Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's kind of cool about... I mean, I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu pretty late because it wasn't really around when I was really young. I mean, I got into it fairly soon after the first UFC, which is in yeah. like 1993. Yeah. Um, and I'd never really done any martial arts at all. I'd been kind of interested. And I'd done like, I'd always liked wrestling, but they didn't have a wrestling team at my school. So I just sort of, 
I kind of did it for fun and I always thought, man, this is something maybe I could do, but yeah. it never really happened. And then I sort of saw this and I was like, wow, man, I could do that. And then it was like a couple of years later and then I kind of looked it up and this was like pretty early days, even internet searching was pretty rudimentary. And it just so happened that one, there was a guy, one person teaching in New York at the time, yeah. happened to be just two blocks from my house. It was a, a American black belt named Craig, Craig Kukuk. Hmm. And he had started teaching twice a week in this place. And so I went and started training there. Um, and he was eventually sort of partnered with Henzo Gracie, who was one of the sort of Gracies who then moved and sort of opened up the academy with him. But I was actually training before Henzo got there with, with this guy, Craig, for a while. And um, Craig paired up with Henzo. And, yeah, um, they had paired up and he sort of was... Uh, able to sort of, I guess, Henzo first came over for that business and then their partnership eventually split up and I'm not sure what happened to Craig, but the rest is sort of history for Henzo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the things that was sort of kind of cool about it always was just like how diverse it was. It was in New York City, so it was like really all kinds you would have in there. You know, uh, there was, I remember one time there was a guy who was a surgeon um, and he... <laughs> pretty intense guy and on occasion like when somebody like got a busted head or something he would basically just like grab them and sort of run them through the emergency room and sort of stitch them up himself you know there were people who actually had ambitions to be fighters there were people who were um you know working on wall street i remember one poor guy he was in there and it was like the next day he was going to start his first big job and then he ended up getting like a scratch up the entire side of his face. Um, but one of the things that was cool about it was you had such a, an amazing cross-section of people and different types. And you, but you had this, well, you had a kind of friendship in the activity and you could develop sort of understanding of each other in that sort of setting, which you would never have encountered all these different types of people in the, in the same yeah. way if you hadn't been. Um, yeah. That's one of the things I really like about jiu-jitsu. And that's really continued here. So, you know, I know lots of people here through jiu-jitsu that there's no way I would know through my work. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, my life would just definitely be a lot less sort of interesting if I hadn't sort of ended up in this strange passion um, that I have for now 25 years or so. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, you're right. Like, that's true of any jiu-jitsu gym you go to anywhere. I, I suspect it would have been super more so true in, in the boiling pot of New York but yeah absolutely I even love watching go, uh, going to if you go to the UFC or, or local fight events or something it's I remember when I went to here in Australia and they had uh, one fight and the girl walking out she was I think she was literally doing a, a PhD in astrophysics or something like that and then the next one was someone who was clearly uh, a gang member and recently out of prison like there is just such a mix of people doing this but they'd be all in the same gym training together having a good time like no problem and those are two people that their path would never otherwise cross yeah totally i remember like once well a, a friend of, of mine at the time it was also at, we i was a graduate student then um in philosophy and a friend of mine at the time, John Donner, who's gone on to be a very sort of famous trainer, but I remember he and I were, had not been training very long and we were training at the academy and there was one kind of rough around the edges character, but who we'd been training friendly with. And, and he was explaining to us sort of in calm terms, he said, um, no, I'm, I'm into this because of the street fighting. And he said, um, I always win now, but I want to destroy people. 
And then he's like, pats me on the back, like, see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and we just sort of look at each other. <laughs> Slightly unnerved. Um, but yeah, so you definitely get sort of all sorts. You, I, I remember other experiences I had where uh, it was like one time I was going to, it was a very, I didn't, I hadn't competed very much and I went into a tournament and I remember going into sort of the first match and I looked at the guy who I was training with and he just looked kind of terrifying to me. Yeah. You know, his ears looked like they were made of melted plastic and, you know, he was sort of like, and then, and I was just like, looked at my friend Andrew who was sort of like there and he was just like, well, just look at all the people we train with every day. You'd be terrified of them too if you didn't know them. And that like kind of calmed me down a little bit. Yeah. I met Andrew when I was over there. He's got a very calm mind, that guy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm very calm mind and good jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's another example, isn't he? He's been there amongst them. He was a firefighter and living in New York. Like, it's just everyone, everyone you could think of. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, and you have end up with friendships with people that you just wouldn't have met. And you also, obviously, it can, your, your friendships can extend beyond this shared pastime. But it's always there and it's this thing, you know? Um, so, I mean, one of the things that's so fascinating about like jujitsu is like, it just, it's always evolving. It's complex. It has like, there are different tastes you can have and what you like about it, what you don't mm -hmm. like about it, different styles. So you don't just like want to watch jujitsu. You want to watch a particular style of jujitsu. You want to see yeah. what you kind of love about it prevail, um, which doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's these trends that come and go in the sport as well. So there's this entire kind of meta game within it. It's super interesting if you're following it. I was going to ask you about that actually, because I have noticed that jujitsu in particular, but but also MMA is there does there there seems to be way more guys that are like I can think of a few off the top of my head that are doing like a a masters in philosophy or have a PhD or have studied it. Like Faraz Sahabi, who's like GSP's coach. Uh, he studied philosophy for a while. You did. John down here as well, huge coach. Um, is there any connection? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that is good in anything is to have a pretty good analytic mind and to try to think for yourself and to try to think things through. And so I think that the people who are like really, who have, really been innovators in jujitsu have not been people who just kind of go out and roll and get really good by just rolling. They're trying mm. to kind of think, try to break things down, try to organize their thoughts about what works and what doesn't work. They're kind mm. of open to new evidence. You know, a lot of the things that you can look at as like things that didn't evolve in jujitsu is like people being stubborn, people being really good at jujitsu, but being really stubborn. So they just won't acknowledge, for example, the idea that like leg locks is like a perfectly legitimate yeah. thing to do in a grappling match and so it just kind of gets pushed to the side and then it doesn't get developed for a while and then it takes people who are thinking who are open to new things who are thinking out of the box who are like well wait a second that guy just came in here and ran over everybody doing these weird stuff i'm going to look into it um and one thing that you definitely say about i that i remember very much about like john is like even early on he was doing that so like he was all about you know, when Sakuraba first came out and he was using Kimuras and people, he was like, used a Kimura to pass Hoyle Gracie's guard. Like, whoever 
Mm. You know, nobody passed well this guard. And people were thinking about focusing on the submission. He was thinking about, look, the interesting thing is he passed his guard. Mm. You know, so, so, you know, trying to think about new systems and pick, put things up and put them together. So I think in that, ideally, is like a good philosophical orientation is that you're trying to try to draw out sort of more general principles. So if you're a moral philosopher, you're trying to think about what are more general values, how do they hang together? Um, how can we organize them into a more plausible morality yeah. um, or theory of the universe? So I suppose like there is that that kind of commonality. But I think a lot of people who are probably um, really smart and analytical in, in one part of their life, they may just be kind of morons when they train jujitsu. I mean, I don't think there's any correlation yeah. between the people I've found who is our kind of thoughtful training partners necessarily and how smart they are and other, you know, like it's like... Yeah. Um, you can be just kind of stubborn and up into your own thing in, in any area of your life, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. You're right though. There are those kind of innovators and they're quite special people. Like to the, the people who like introduce a new position or they're the first one to make it work in fighting um, or they're like setting some trend that someone else has. That's, yeah, that's rare to do. I, I don't think that's something that tends to happen by accident. It's so much easier just to follow what the existing, um, system is and it's probably the safer bet most of the time i think that's probably right i mean a lot of the time it is you know you you learn from people who are better than you who have in they usually have reason for not doing the things they do um and, but probably innovation also has a lot to do with what the tone is in like an academy i mean one thing that was definitely really market in like henzo's was that it was like he was so open to new ideas and he was mm. like, and I was really lucky. We were all really lucky because well, he was fighting MMA at the time and he was training almost always without a gi and no gi jujitsu was not, it was just kind of evolving in a different way at that time. Mm. And so he was rapidly developing all these different parts of his game, but he was super open to other stuff and he was encouraging people. And like, you could see it with a lot of the people who've come out of that gym, like, Sean Williams and John and you know they really like developed new systems and they were starting to develop that stuff when they were blue belts and purple belts and they were being encouraged mm -hmm. to do that by Henzo and that's that's really unusual I think um, and I think so there was that spirit of experimentation and um, you know developing new ideas which I think was you know definitely not the norm in every academy um, yeah and for anyone who's listening who doesn't know who Henzo Gracie is just look him up. He's a legend, legend of jiu-jitsu, legend of MMA as well. Like he was sort of uh, a legend before it was a sport even big enough to have legends like, uh, and still is like the, the dude still fought recently, even though he's getting on and um, yeah, a legend too in like, cause I met him when I was over there, just seems like a really savvy businessman. He runs an amazing gym, uh, just the charisma like of rarely seen before you know like he just kind of has a bit of an aura to him the guy yeah absolutely i mean there's, there's also those sort of accidents of your of one's interests you know like with me i don't think i would have necessarily stuck with it if it had been mm. another place you know it definitely it was like there was a unique energy in that place mm. he was such an unusual person and actually it affected me in that like i i moved away for various reasons even for a while, I was living in Brazil, and I went to a kind of academy that I didn't actually really enjoy it very much, and I wasn't mm. training very much because it was like so, you know. And I think I probably would have eventually found my way in these other places. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think 
a lot of the things that kind of keep you in something also are sort of the friendships and the general how you feel there and yeah. whether you feel comfortable and um, you know it's a really competitive and kind of an intense thing mm -hmm. um, but it can you, you can also feel very supported in that space or you could feel not supported in that space and um, so yeah so that's something I've definitely taken away and when I like train with people and have always trained subsequently that's like really important to me you know just realize you know this is somebody you're not training with people who necessarily have been doing this for a long time they don't necessarily know what they're doing they you know you gotta you're kind of you're going to be one of their impressions of the thing you yeah. know so you have to you know conduct yourself in a way that kind of is encouraging and i've always noticed that in you as well as you sort of you, you're kind of trying to when I train with you, you're trying to find the core principles of a thing or you're really open-minded to trying new things or open-minded to new ideas that maybe are contradictory to the way you've been training beforehand. And I kind of had assumed that that was the philosopher in you, but it sounds like that was kind of the atmosphere at Henzo's way back, which is really rare because for people listening, like you go to a lot of jiu-jitsu gyms, which this isn't necessarily a criticism, but it's, it's sort of cookie-cutter. You do what the coach does or... Um, it's sort of, um, I don't know, it's more structured, which I think could be really good for some people, but it sounds like there's a real atmosphere of tinkering and trying, because that blows my mind, like it's, for, for, for them to be developing these new ideas at Blue Belt, that would be the equivalent of like, I don't know, going to a university and your second year undergraduates are developing the ideas that would later, but you know, become some giant research project or something, like, right? Is that, is that? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you make that comparison because... Um, there are like two very different models of, of how people do PhDs in sort of my field. Mm. One that is sort of dominant in like the US where I did my PhD and one that is more common in Australia. And the, the model in the US is you do a lot of coursework even when you're at the PhD level. So you're really writing a lot of essays for professors for courses for a couple of years even after you're in graduate school and only then after you've done this and you've passed various exams and things then you start working on your phd that's changed a little bit but when i was a student that was very much the model mm. um, and you weren't kind of expected to have any new ideas anytime mm. soon <laughs> it was yeah. almost like presumptuous and then the model here is you kind of people start their phds after doing an honors degree and they're kind of pretty early in the game in their education yeah. and they have to start kind of learning by doing from the beginning wow. so they're trying out ideas from the beginning they're kind of coming up with the topic they're a little bit lost in the beginning and then they find their way and and it's interesting because I actually think that the way in which I was trained um, in some ways I got a real more general grounding than yeah. you might get um, in some places, but uh, but it was also a bit stultifying in that it took me a long time before I felt even remotely able to start having tried to venture new ideas. And it was really difficult for me to transition from just being a, kind of a good student to being an independent researcher. Whereas I think if you just sort of start experimenting before you kind of really know what you're doing, <laughs> there's a way in which you can actually be, you can actually end up um, developing your own voice in something a little bit earlier. Yeah. So I think um, I think jujitsu is a bit like that. Of course, everybody needs to learn the basics, but I think it's, you know, you also realize how unique everybody is and how certain things work for you that don't work for other people. And the more you start to sort of get used to that and start to think about how you're going to piece together your individual game, maybe the better. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, with jujitsu, I have to admit, I don't feel, it's only been, you know, I think in recent years, I've been trying to think a little bit more creatively. I used to just be like, I, I, I so revered everybody kind of coming out of that gym, you know, out of Henzo's and like the guys I trained with, like Matt Sarah and Henzo and her car. Basically anything they told me was, I thought was like the right thing. <laughs> and I wasn't really particularly interested in learning jiu-jitsu from them. And it's only been like later that I've sort of started to break out of that because I just like learned so much, especially from Henzo. I was like really fortunate especially because I had other friends who had a bit more money at the time and they would do a lot of private lessons with him. Yeah. And I would be sort of the guy who came along as the second, the poor graduate student, but it was sort of nice to have around. So I like benefited from like a lot of private instruction from him yeah. when he was doing a lot of PTs. And like I still, all the stuff I do is basically the stuff I was learning in the late 90s in yeah. those PTs. So, yeah. It's amazing how yeah. a lot of those ideas, like they, they're timeless, like the good techniques, they never go out of fashion they, they still work yeah um, I think that's why you see a lot of older jiu-jitsu guys and they almost get a little disgruntled with the, the new stuff coming up they're like ah come on you know like it's the basics still work which it seems like there's a balance there like you've got to have your mind open to the new stuff but also realize also that realize that yeah and also realize that you can learn all the new stuff and then you're going to go against somebody and they're going to do basic stuff and they're just going to smash you I mean yeah, it's just like, you know, you learn, I mean, that's the thing about jujitsu that is kind of an unusual thing is like, there's no hiding on the mat. You know what I mean? You train and you kind of know where you are, you know where you stand, <laughs> you know? like, you know, what's not working and what's working. Yeah. Um, and like, you can be surprised. I remember when I first started training with you again, after like years of not training with you and you were flying all over the place and getting onto my back. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is happening to me? <laughs> and so you have to go, okay, well, yeah, that's happening to me. <laughs> what's going on? You know, I have to think about, you know, what's going on, what's working well. I have to open my mind a little bit, think about defending differently, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's the best part about this. You're always exposed to um, rude awakenings, you know, as soon as you think you've got it all figured out or you've got it logicked out in your head, um, someone will prove you wrong and then you have to keep fixing it. Um, I think about that a lot, actually. Like, it seems like all of the, um, I don't know, all of the things humans get really good at have, like, that kind of adversarial system, you know, where, like, people are prodding you, prodding holes in your kind of theory or your idea or, you know, like, I guess in your world you've got, like, the peer review thing where you put out an article and then all of your academic buddies will criticise the hell out of yeah, it. Yeah, they don't feel like your buddy. They don't know you. <laughs> they don't know you. You don't know you. They definitely don't seem like your buddies. Um, it's sort of like people joke that refer to reviewer two and it's basically the person who's just being insanely negative about anything that you've written. Um, yeah, I definitely think that there's... A, I, yeah, there, um, it's interesting fields... Of, of sort of experience or study where you get rough feedback. Yeah. You know, academia definitely being one, um, jujitsu definitely being another, right? Yeah. Where you just kind of are realizing stuff that just doesn't work and there's no, or, or, or you, even if you don't feel that it was warranted, you still have to just take it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that one of the things that it's like really, it's like a challenge with stuff like jujitsu also is that um, you can, there is a bit of anxiety about it, you know, and discomfort, especially like it's not necessarily when you have regular training partners and like, it's kind of good. You have that, you establish a certain understanding mm -hmm. with them, 
but it's really important also just to not just to train out of the box and to train with different people and stuff and there's always that anxiety you don't really know what's going to happen you don't know how you're going to feel you know especially if you you know as much as you want to be kind of open-minded about it everyone wants to do well you always want to feel that you're doing well and especially as you get further along that can become like it can become almost immobilizing if you let it you know you don't want to you don't want to show yourself bad against somebody. You don't want to, you know, lose in a way you shouldn't. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like and, and struggling with that and realizing that is kind of an interesting exercise. I mean, I've still to this day, like sometimes it's like if something if if I get a little hurt or something, it's almost always where there was some part of me that wasn't just allowing myself to go with the flow. You know what I mean? That was like yeah. resisting it or holding on or some weird ego thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's just like that's interesting, you know, it's, um, it's a, you have to kind of feel that fear and continue to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There are those moments where you kind of get frustrated and you grit your teeth a little bit and you just go a little bit harder than maybe you should have. And then, yeah, those are most of the times you injure yourself. And I'm not saying you as in you, I mean, as in everyone, everyone I, myself yeah. included. Um, yeah, but I have noticed that in you that, um, because I remember I started, um, rolling, sparring with you again after you'd had years off. And there are plenty of other uh, black belts and people who are really good at jiu-jitsu that I roll with. And um, sometimes people can get to a thing where if they think that you can beat them, they kind of stop trying and they kind of go a little bit on the defense. Whereas you, you were like hammering tongs, trying to kind of break my foot, break my knee, whatever, <laughs> like every time. And it just completely kept me um honest because like uh you never kind of fell into that defensive trap where you just feel like you're trying to stop me from doing things you know you, you were still like doing your thing yeah it felt like a bit of a loser's game to try to just do that against you <laughs> but, but it's also yeah you learn so much more that way it opens everything up and then also you feel like oh you're happy to train that way you know what i mean because yeah. you just let go you're like okay you, you get into weird positions you're not constantly getting into the same position every time where you kind of find natural stalemates with people and stuff you know yeah um but uh yeah but it's it's like you know it's 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 a it's, it's an interesting game in terms of you definitely learn a lot about yourself and try to get over various hang-ups that you have because if you don't, you'll end up not training or you'll end up only training safely with certain people that you know exactly how you can handle yourself or, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we talked a little bit like how maybe your philosophy world influences your jiu-jitsu. Has there been any influence the other way around or any influence on like what these martial arts have done for your life or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as far as like specific ideas and stuff, I'm not completely sure. It's definitely, it seems to be such a, it's such a big part of like who I am that it's sort of a little bit hard to imagine my life having not done this stuff. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that is like, that has come up to me recently. Um, and that is like when you do something that is, brings together people, completely different people. One thing you learn is like you end up having these people who you have completely wildly different views about politics, about everything, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and some of the times they might have ideas that you find pretty appalling. Um, and if you just met them in any other context, they would just be people with appalling ideas that you would avoid. Right. But if you meet them in the context of like, these are your buddies you train with, who you know and respect, and they respect you, and you've learned from them. 
And then, but you also realize they may have, some of them may have ideas that are completely different from yours and you would, you find offensive and they find offensive. But like, it, it definitely makes you, um, I don't know, it gives you a slightly broader understanding of people and less willingness to just sort of write people off because of things that you don't like about them or um, the differences you may have. And I know that like, for instance, I mean, since politics is so fractious and, you know, I have strong political views and I get really angry about different things in politics. And but then, you know, you see people on the Internet and they'll sometimes be saying, you know, if you support so and so or whatever, you're, you're dead to me or I have nothing to do with you. You know, like and I always feel like people who are saying that it's going to be a very low cost signal because they probably don't have anybody that is really close to them that has the view that they're actually saying that they don't want anybody to do it, right? Whereas, like, I feel like I'm not prepared to say that. I'm not prepared to say that because they're actually flesh and blood people that I know and respect and engage with who have views that I find appalling, right? And I think that jujitsu has been, like, one of the main points where my life is intersected with people of completely different kinds and backgrounds and views. And so in that sense, it's actually been interesting for me you know and also and there's also no correlation i think between people's appalling or 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 salutary according to my lights views and how decent they are in in the space of a jiu-jitsu academy you know what i mean mm. <laughs> so so and that that gives you kind of a it's sort of an interesting insight into people and the, the the there's no sort of unity of virtues different people have different ways and yeah so that, yeah. that's one, one thing that's been on my mind recently that yeah. I, I feel like I've learned or, or that has, has influenced the way I think because of, you know, not because of jiu-jitsu as a sport, but jiu-jitsu as a, as a sort of a social experience over time with all different kinds. And, yeah. yeah. And it's so um, noticeable there because it's such a high trust atmosphere too. Like they are putting you in chokeholds and joint locks that could kill you, maim you. But, you know, they're putting it on gently, they're letting go, they're making sure you're comfortable, they're being polite, they're like checking in if you've got injuries, like it's such a, like I think that's why Jiu-Jitsu builds such strong friendships, it's like you really hurt each other if you don't yeah. trust each other. But yeah, you're right, there's people of all walks of life, every religion, every creed, every nationality, and what happens is they kind of all get together and then nobody really cares that much. You know, yeah, and everybody's just much more interested in what you can learn from each other about this funny little arm lock variation right? yeah that's right yeah. they'll be like oh, Frank's a Nazi but God he's got a good uh, yeah, arm he's lock got half guard <laughs> <laughs> he's got a half guard on the board um, yeah so tell me a little bit more about like your New York life because you, you were there and you were studying and you were training over there what, what was that like? like well I was yeah I was a graduate student um, for far too long <laughs> <laughs> and one of the reasons I was a graduate student for far too long is that there was definitely a period in there where I was probably spending much more time on jiu-jitsu than I was on my studies. Yeah. I was definitely completely and utterly into it and into having a good time in New York City and only as a, as a, as a distant runner-up trying to finish my dissertation. <laughs> um, but yeah, now it was kind of an interesting, interesting life because I would you know, be... And I was teaching also. I did a fair bit of teaching while I was at Columbia. So there would be kind of this rather different contrast where I'd be sort of teaching this course, which is sort of this great books course that they teach. So I'd be yeah. giving a two-hour seminar on 
whatever Aristotle's politics or something and then like two hours later I was sort of like trying to you know get my nerve up to get on the subway to go down to 27th street to go or to, to go up into the academy which was in this their first place he had an academy was is a pretty dingy dingy building where there was like a big methadone clinic on this floor below so you basically you'd be riding up the elevator with this sort of assortment of jiu-jitsu people people who were going there for treatment uh, in this building where the elevator was a bit shaky <laughs> and then you'd go in and you'd train you'd never know what was going to happen there so yeah. that was pretty cool but um but yeah i was like really lucky that a lot of the a lot of the people that was they were a bit some of the people who had started a bit before me were already really good by the time i got there like matt and nick sarah um they were also like really good dudes, you know, and like really set a, a really good tone in the academy. And there was like really very little bullying and stuff. So, and I felt like kind of recognized as a person, the fact that I was kind of like a, a skinny little square head from Columbia University wasn't like looked at as some weird bad thing. It was kind of like a, like a curiosity. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I felt looked after in that way it definitely was lucky it could have easily been otherwise you know different people who would have been risen to prominence there could have been different but i was always felt like really looked after when henzo got there especially it was like it was awesome he was just like so friendly and open and just wanted to talk to everybody and figure out what you were about and yeah it was yeah. really i mean there's also those accidents of fate you know is 10 years later he would already been there and established and everything but like when i was there it was all new and fresh and you know, nobody really had roots in it yet. It was all kind of happening, so. Yeah, and so many of the people I hear about you sort of mentioned just in passing, they then went on to like, you know, be famous fighters and things like that. But it sounds like that place was, you know, it, was, it kind of just sounds like the kind of gyms that I know now where it's just a, a bunch of dudes. They just love training, yeah. they're getting together. It wasn't some murder house. It wasn't some crazy... It wasn't, yeah. No, and it wasn't very... I mean, things like MMA were not particularly professionalized yet, like in terms of people's training regimen. Like nowadays, it's like big gyms and there's dietitians and... Mm. I mean, oh, I mean, back in the day, it was totally rough, you know, and people were still very much kind of part of a discipline. Yeah, they were trying to pick stuff up, but it wasn't controlled and, you know, it, it was a little bit rougher, I think, in general, the whole strategy for training and stuff and what people were doing, um, which was interesting. It was still more like styles against styles, you know, and oh, people yeah. were really, when they were jiu-jitsu guys, they were like super jiu-jitsu dominant and... Yeah, I just remember just wanting wanting that to win every time. And yeah, it was pretty exciting. Being able to train with somebody like Matt was like amazing. I mean, I was just like one of 80 pieces of cannon fodder that he would throw around, <laughs> throw around on the mat before his fights and stuff. But he was just like, he was just like a god at the time. Yeah. Um, and that place has become an institution now. Like it is, it's in the center of New York. Like it's prime location wouldn't you say and it's a gigantic bit of real estate there and it's always just filled to the brim with students they're still putting out really high level jiu-jitsu guys really high level fighters they have arguably the best jiu-jitsu no gi jiu-jitsu fighters in the world there at the moment um it's just amazing to see places like that that that's you know started probably quite humble and now it just 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big play. It's like I get timid. I get terrified when I walk in that play. I mean, luckily there's still some old guys from like when I was there still around. And I find them immediately, and then we try to train with each other because there's so many crazy killers in their profession. It's basically, you know, everybody wants to train there. You know, and John is just a genius and has these amazing genius students now who are developing jujitsu in completely different ways and. Yeah, it's a it's pretty. It's a little bit crazy in there. There's so many people in there. But I, when I do go back to New York again, I always try to get in, train a little bit, hide in the corner, try not to get hurt, and yeah. then come back with a few tricks. Hopefully learned. Um, but yeah, yeah. I remember when I went there with Andrew, and um, because both you and he were the old guard there, you know, like you were some of the older ones, and he's like, all right, these are the older guys are, and they'd be sort of in the corner, and they guys who've been there for over a decade, and but my God, they were no jokes either. Like young me was going in there feeling all right and getting, I remember I just got throttled up and down the mat by, um, oh, what's his like name? Stu or something? Stu. Yeah, like a, a guy with a white beard, basically. A white beard, yeah. <laughs> Wizened looking man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, there are guys who have been, that's the thing that people don't kind of realize about that they're aware of like some of the young stars who are doing all these competitions. But, you know, like, you know, John was developing his stuff forever, and there are like tons of guys who've been training with him for 15 years who are like in their 40s and have jobs and families but are absolute killers. And then they, technically, they're just outrageous how, how good they are. Mm. You know? um, yeah, and for anyone listening who doesn't know John Danaher, he's sort of he's become a bit of a savant of jujitsu coaching. Um, not necessarily a man who's sort of has his own competition record but the athletes he's produced is just ridiculous and the techniques he's innovated on uh, uh, yeah he's sort of changed the game up and he's the man that people go to these days for jiu-jitsu training like um, yeah it's it's pretty unreal and um, I almost picture you two because it sounds like you two kind of started in a similar spot and you both decided to spend your life focusing a lot on something he went the jiu-jitsu route he went the uh, philosophy route and you both kind yeah, of he's become, well he's become much more distinguished <laughs> in jiu-jitsu than I am in philosophy um, in the sense that he is you know absolute superstar but uh, yeah so I, but I've kept up jiu-jitsu and ph- ph- I, I'm I've done all right. You've done all right. You were, the, you were the head of philosophy at the Australian National University. Like, that's that's a pretty prestigious yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm just, it's more just kind of um, in awe of just all the stuff he's accomplished. But, um, yeah, we were we were uh, grad students together in philosophy and um, started jiu-jitsu right around the same time and, you know, ended up still staying in jiu-jitsu and staying in touch, but following rather different paths. But I mean, at the time also, like there was no sense that this was going to become this big thing yeah. or this big, I mean, first of all, like MMA as a sport was basically only barely legal in some states. And <laughs> it wasn't clear what was going on with that. There was no, I mean, there were tournaments and stuff, but the idea that there would be these big professional grappling events and stuff was, and that's all really new. Mm-hmm. Um, or even just the idea, it was never dawned on me that it would be a career or a life. Um, which is interesting. I mean, a lot of the guys who I would have trained with back then are all successful school owners all up and down the East Coast and mm. the, in the West Coast and, you know, have been wildly successful themselves, you know. Mm. It's just kind of funny to think, wow, okay, yeah, that's that's what happened. But Yeah, I guess they, they kind of rode this wave that we didn't know was going to be a wave. Like, yeah. It's, it's massive. Yeah, well, Maybe exactly. they did know, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I'm just uh, I'm just hoping to you know just keep keep being able to train as much as I can before my body finally breaks down. But uh, so far, so far, so good. So far, so good. I feel like it uh, it probably delays it a little bit. It gives you a few extra years of fitness and health. Yeah, definitely. But by having been been a bit, a bit lazy in training for many years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's another thing, of course, is injury and dealing with those kinds of things, which um, which I didn't have to deal with very much at all early on. Mm. And then um, you know, I had a really catastrophic knee injury uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah. And at the time, I remember the, the uh, when I was explaining to, to the, the doctor what I did, he just kind of shook his head. He's like, well, look, you know, I think it's going to be some... Some, some light mountain walking for you from here on out. And I kind of thought, well, maybe he's right. Yeah. But then like six months later, I was already kind of pining after it. And it's not really, it's not really helped me back, caused me trouble. But um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, I hadn't even thought that that was something that could happen. And then everybody, of course, looked at me like I was an idiot for having ever done it because it's so obvious that something like that would happen. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yours was quite a doozy, wasn't it? You actually broke through your femur. Yeah, I, I fractured my tibia plateau and basically tore up all the ligaments in my knee. Um, and again, not by, uh, it was just one of those silly things you put yourself in a silly situation, doing a bit of stand up with somebody who was like really tall and really heavy and didn't really know what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and they basically jumped guard yeah. uh, unexpectedly and fell across my leg. And um, yeah, that was that basically landed through your knee yeah it was basically i mean basically the the accident i had is, is a skiing accident it's what people usually do when they basically ride into a tree at 60 kilometers an hour yeah <laughs> so yeah it was pretty pretty unpleasant the thing i've noticed with um my with um jiu-jitsu and martial arts and injuries is um you talk to someone who does does that and they have an injury and they're they often get back into it like they get back into it they get fit as anything barely bothers them Whereas uh, if Joe Bloggs had that same injury, they would be, you know, chronic pain and wheelchair bound or crutches bound for years and it would influence them for the rest of their life. But I don't know, maybe that's... Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's true. I think it's like, well, you want to do it and you adapt and you figure out, like there are certain things I probably wouldn't do and don't do. Mm -hmm. I'm not even aware of in terms of movements. I definitely sometimes will just like, when I feel anything... Like just let positions go. Like I just, you know, I definitely train differently. I think than I would have had I not been injured. Mm. Um, just having a sense of what what it means to expose yourself in a certain way. But once you make that adjustment, you just kind of roll with it. And then and then actually, it helps you get better at other stuff. Like if you're not fighting like crazy to retain your guard all the time, well, you get used to being on the bottom, and <laughs> you get used to trying to find ways to sort of extract yourself and get into positions from a disadvantageous position rather than just kind of fending people off, which you might, you know, otherwise get stuck doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, credit to you. Like, you back into it, and I know you, you've got, like, your little uh, gym set up in your house and you're bringing all the young bucks around to beat them up. Because how old are you now? Is that a rude question? Uh, I'm, I turned 50. Turned 50. Yeah, you're no young you're spring chicken, but still you were, you were rolling with the young bucks and having no problems from what I could see. Well, I have plenty of problems with some bucks, but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely fun to be able to still train and, yeah, um, and learn. Yeah, I've definitely learned actually probably more in the last five years than I did in like the 10 years before that just from 
well, like training with you a lot and like experimenting. And I mean, one of the things that wasn't around when I was first training that is now is just the explosion of like the instructionals market and like mm. some really, really good, high quality, thoughtful instructional stuff that's been put out over the last few years that is kind of fun to look at. And it's no substitute for training, but it definitely gives you access to things you wouldn't otherwise have. That's, that's like a big change. Um, and integrating it in. Yeah, and there's a way also in which I think um, having regular training partners too helps you evolve because you end up, you figure out each other's tricks and then you kind of have to do new stuff and then it, you know, just kind of keeps spiraling. So, yeah, lots of tactics and trickery. I think that's, I guess that's why it's often called the, the, the chess of martial arts, is you can very much use that trickery to win. Like, it's not all strength and fitness and things like that. And for anyone who hasn't seen these instructionals, you can. It's, it's, because sometimes I spend half my time on these talks sort of translating it for other people because I, I have had conversations with people who have nothing to do with martial arts and just the idea to them that you can buy a DVD that gives you, you know, hours of instruction about one particular submission in one particular martial art is just preposterous. It seems you, weird, yeah. <laughs> but you can do it. You can, you can find a four hour uh, instructional on one particular type of submission and the, the quality of instruction is like your, your Richmond fire, your Richard Feynman kind of level of detail. It's, it's um, amazing. Yeah. There are moments when I sometimes think, you know, if the people who knew me knew how much time I'd actually devoted to thinking about how to do a better job of putting someone's in a position where basically I would tear their ligaments in their knee or break their ankle. They might be significantly disturbed and it would certainly suggest a complete misallocation of time across <laughs> priorities. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I joke about it too because, um, yeah, because I, I, I did the uni thing and have sort of an equivalent of a, a master's, but I have by far spent more time studying how to break feet and arms and things like that, like by far, like I'd have a PhD in that stuff by now if it was oh, an allocation sure. Well, time. you do have a PhD in that, you have black belt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is funny to think, because uh, it, it really doesn't come up in your day-to-day -day life all that often. No, no it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> no, it's something you want to keep under wraps, generally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do um, any of your colleagues at the university know? Uh, yeah, a few. I think um, a few few people I work with know, like they've, um, they might know that I have a friend Justin I train with who was at the uni for a while, and so a couple yeah. of them might know him, and they know he did this weird thing, and like we knew each other through this, and <laughs> and then a couple of people will have heard various things, but yeah, uh, not, I don't talk about it too much, but yeah. I find it helps me in some areas, like job interviews feel a lot easier now. You know, like if I've got a panel of two intimidating people asking me scary questions, but just because I do so much jujitsu, my mind falls back to that. And I was like, yeah, you know, like I could probably beat them both up. So yeah. it's okay. No matter how bad this goes, I'm not going to get beaten up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a ridiculous way to think, but it's funny how much it carries me through. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, um, what sort of area of philosophy, because I, I know you, it's around sort of the ethics side of things is where you focus. Is that right? Or are you yeah. more of a generalist? No, so I work in more on political philosophy, um, and 
so a, a lot of the work I'm doing, or I have done, is about like questions of global justice, like what what do we owe to people who are destitute, who live halfway across the world, that's one set of questions, or um, how should we evaluate different kinds of policies that our government might have with respect to immigration or trade, um, those sorts of issues. So it's a bit more on the applied end and the more political, practical side of philosophy. Yeah. And you write a book. Yeah, I've written, well, I've, I've been the co-author of two books. One book, which is about international trade and labor standards, which I wrote with an economist, Sanjay Reddy, a long time ago. And then another book, um, which is on just this question of poverty and different arguments that seek to ground the responsibility of well-off people like us to address poverty and trying to think through their implications. There are other philosophers who have thought about these issues and have been interesting arguments, um, including a famous Australian philosopher, Peter Singer, for example, who has in over 40 years given very simple and influential arguments to the effect that what wealthy people regard themselves as morally free to do with their resources is wrong, that in fact that they should be giving away a lot of their resources to try to address severe poverty abroad. Yeah. So engaging with those sorts of arguments and others. Yeah, I read that book and I was like, it was an amazingly deep rabbit hole. I didn't realize how much you can kind of look into the specifics of that because it seems like there are these um, things that are kind of commonly said, like um, the rich should sort of give a huge amount of their money to the poor and that solves it. But there's just like insane amounts of subtlety as, as to the details of that and how that would work and who really does have the moral implication like and it feels like something that we all kind of have a feeling that it doesn't quite fit right but none of us really know how to question that without sound like without sounding like we're um uh, advocating for anything other than you know help the just poor. being yeah yeah well i do think that one of the things that's that is a bit of a risk in sort of moral and political philosophy is that everybody wants to seem like a nice good person mm. Um, I mean, in a way, that's not a risk. It's a good thing that people want to seem like nice, good people. But at the same time, you know, you have to try to look at the arguments and whether or not you think they're good arguments and argue them through in a way that isn't necessarily guaranteed to lead to certain conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that's something I'm quite conscious of. And sometimes I do find myself um, ending up in a position that I feel like, hmm. I'm not so sure how happy I am that this is where I ended up, um, but yeah. this is where I sort of am right now. Do you ever feel like you're walking on eggshells? Because it seems like some things are a little taboo to question as far as... Yeah, in that topic, in that, that particular topic, not so much, you know. Um, um, one thing that is sort of nice about philosophy generally, and I say generally because there are some exceptions, is that people are pretty tolerant of you having pretty wild views about many different things. Mm. So you can, um, you can have views saying that, you know, look, democracy is an absolutely terrible idea. This yeah. is obviously a terrible idea. And really the best form of government would be, you know, ruled by epistocrats, small, those who know better, or um, by some sort of lottery system where, yeah. Anyway, there are many yeah. different radical views you can have about how we ought to govern political life. You could have a view according to which, like Peter Singer, you think that average wealthy people should give up 80% of their wealth to address poverty abroad. 
or you get a review according to which you know we don't know anybody pretty much anything yeah. <laughs> unless we've harmed them so you can have these rather radically different views about a lot of different topics but then there will be some topics where it becomes a bit challenging um, where you have people really disagreeing, not just disagreeing about the issue, but disagreeing about whether or not it's an issue about which there should be serious disagreement, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's issues where people sort of agree that there's something to be debated here, there's a real issue, and that merely engaging in this debate is not itself a kind of offense, whereas yeah. there are other issues where it seems like even engaging in discussion of something looks like an offense. And yeah. I think all of us believe that, right? For example, I don't think that um, that you could have a serious, meaningful, philosophical debate about whether or not um, same-sex people should have the same rights as people who are attracted to people of the opposite sex, right? Yeah. For me, that's not something I would discuss in a philosophy class at this point, I yeah. think, right? Um, but of course, everybody disagrees about just what issues are beyond mm. the pale of discussing and what issues aren't. And so then you get some interesting, well, interesting is not really quite the word, some rather fraught conversations. And yeah. certainly in my field, there have been recently some things that I have friends who have rather completely different views about something. And it's quite, then you really feel very cautious about saying anything because you, you don't, especially if you're not completely confident about your position, you know, you're going to immediately be put into yeah. a camp, right, um, yeah. which is going to be regarded in a certain way. Yeah. Particularly with the political stuff, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, one of the big issues is about sort of the politics of gender, and this is one of the big, big issues at the moment around those. There's a lot of fractious yeah. disagreement. Yeah, yeah. I know, I'm, I'm terrified to even talk about that right now on this podcast, so let's change the topic. <laughs> Good. Back to the grappling. <laughs> to save ground. Um, I feel like that's something I always enjoy talking to people who have that kind of philosophy mindset because they'll um, they'll kind of dive into to, to, to um, taboo topics really comfortably. And I think my field psychology is a little bit the same too, is that there's a little bit more openness to the topics you can touch. And I love that because that's where so much of the interesting stuff lies is those conversations that you don't normally have. And just being able to talk about that stuff without necessarily endorsing it one way or another. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I think there's also different ways to... And there are times when people bring up topics and they are just kind of being trolls, right? That they, yeah. they know they want to elicit a reaction. Mm. And so even if it's something that you could debate in good faith, they're not debating it in good faith. And that's not a very nice feeling. Right? Uh, you can't um, really win that, can you? Yeah, or you just, and then you don't admit it, and usually what you do is you get impatient and, and emotional, and then nobody behaves particularly badly, and you end up, yeah, so it's, it's like, it's like conversation with my teenage son much of the time, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no winning that either. <laughs> <laughs> Troll culture kind of thing, yeah, yeah. Cool. Anything else I've missed? Anything else you want to talk about? And... Because I just yeah. I just ramble yeah. about whatever yeah. is interesting, just, but you probably have other stuff that you. Mm. I don't know. We talked about a fair bit of stuff. I'm not. Nothing comes to mind immediately. Yeah, we touched on your time in New York. Do you want to talk a little bit about the about about the, the train? I mean, one thing I guess I could say we is about what you know what you're trying to do with the the business and you know 
I'm doing a bit of teaching and that sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So with um, so I run Canberra MMA with uh, with Ryan and and yeah, Christian does a little bit of coaching for us in jujitsu and yeah, our goal is always just sort of grow the scene here in Canberra of MMA, of jujitsu, of all those great martial arts and and yeah, you've been a great help in that as well and you've been an influence on my training and on my thinking and. Um, we're incredibly lucky here in Canberra to already have a really open community. Like it's really friendly and it's people true, yeah. help each other. Um, so yeah, so what, what I'm trying to do through, um, doing one-on-one coaching and some group stuff and, and, um, even through like the social media stuff is just sort of grow the opportunities for people like, uh, give, um, coaching opportunities to people who are coming up in the scene and promote people in Canberra who are doing amazing things and even like getting yeah. guys like you on here and talking about your backstories like there's a lot going on here and um it's a ridiculously fast growing city too so it is yeah gonna keep getting and I remember when I first started when I first moved here it was about 10 years ago a little more than 10 years ago <clears throat> and there really was almost nothing mm. um and now they're like some bunch of robust, really well-run academies. A lot of good guys. There are a bunch of really, really excellent places to learn. If you're interested in jujitsu, you can get excellent instruction. There's not been one place that I, I haven't trained in all the academies here, but there's not one place that I've been where I felt that it wasn't like a really good group of people doing it the right way, mm. which is not always the case. Um, and yeah, it's been really fun actually to do a bit of teaching because it's something that. You always do when you're rolling a little bit, you know, yeah. um, but to, just to think, um, yeah, I'm not giving up my day of job, my day job anytime soon, but it's like, yeah. a, it's like really fun to think and structure my thoughts about jujitsu in a different way and to try to, you know, contribute to this, you know, this project, you know, and it's really fun to see people who are like really active competing, doing really well, like you and other people around Canberra and, um, yeah, you know, getting to be a part of that, that's something I like look forward to is like watching the guys who are like starting out and we're doing a bit of training with now, yeah. where they're going to be in five years. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty yeah. really cool. And I know the guys that you've trained and coached and stuff like that, they just like, they're just off like a rocket kind of thing. And yeah, I pinch myself sometimes because I think, you know, you're doing coaching for these guys, you're a black belt, you've trained with some incredibly experienced guys for you know decades you're also an incredibly good teacher you know like you you literally have made a career out of teaching at least in part and like teaching difficult things to communicate like what a package like it's ridiculous um so yeah we're pretty pretty spoiled to have you along i think Uh, and i'm selfishly yeah just love having you as well to train with and i learned so much too Oh man, well, it's keeping me, it's keeping me in the game. It's really a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that has <clears throat> definitely been always the case with, with me, with, with jujitsu and it's just probably true with any sort of activity is that, you know, the, you know, the friendships are the things that kind of keep you going, um, mm. and keep you interested and keep it exciting. Not just if, you know, cause you're, you're, you're communicating. It's like a fellowship. You're developing stuff. Um, and really, I might not have trained jiu-jitsu at all when I came to Canberra had not I just not run into some guys who were just like good guys who had kind of just discovered it. A friend of mine, Dane Richmond and Justin yeah. Barker and, yeah. and, and Masafumi Matsumoto, who was a, who yeah. was a Japanese grad student at the time, um, who's now an itinerant, globe-trotting yep. 
jujitsu savant. And I just happened to run into those guys. And we just happened, and I hadn't trained in a while because there was no jiu-jitsu. I, I thought that was just over. Um, and it was just because I ran into them that it became a thing and actually met you train at the ANU there. And yeah. you know, then it became a thing and we had each other. And then even when I got injured, not that long after that, I, if I had just gotten injured, I never would have gone back. But I had to go back because, like, what was what was what were Dane and Justin going to yeah. do? You know, like they were they were like, when, when are you going to be training again? You know? And like that, and feeling that people care about that, care about your involvement in it, is like an important part of it. So um, that's why I actually think when people are interested in like people are at all interested in starting jujitsu or thinking about it, like think about if you can get a friend to come along and do it yeah. with you. Just like having that journey together. I mean, that was something that I had, you mentioned my friend Andrew Owens and John. and I mean, Like you kind of, you really share in each other's victories. I remember yeah. like, it was like over a two night period. And it was like me and Andrew and John and Sean, we all, all basically got our blue belts over like the two day period. And we were just like, we were like so psyched for each other. <laughs> like, cause it was just like this amazing thing that happened to, to us, you know, and our friends, you know. Whereas like, and so you really have that kind of camaraderie and you can kind of come up together and you can sort of share in each other's victories and, you know, and, yeah. and you've got guys who you've done that with already who are like super advanced people like Ryan now who would have started training with you pretty early days and yeah, yeah it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And like we're all at each other's weddings and, you know, birthdays and we go to see, like, it's such a little tribe of people. Which Sometimes in rash guards, right? Absolutely. <laughs> You've got to always be ready. You've got to, always got to be ready. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's um, such a tight little community, which is not something I think you can easily find in, in other things. So I'm, I'm grateful for it every day. I remember when you first came to Canberra, actually, and I was training with Massa and Justin and Dane and those guys would just beat the hell out of me every day because I was only a little white belt and um, yeah so they were the big dogs and they would beat me up so bad not like beat me up but they just you know it was to the point where Justin I was convinced that he was literally a foot taller than me like I was convinced because of how badly he would beat me and then one day I was standing next to him and he was actually a foot like he was the same size as me and I remember being a ghastly shock that he wasn't a foot tall <laughs> and anyway then you come in from nowhere and I was this guy that what were you a purple belt then yeah 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 and I was like oh my god a purple belt I'd never seen one before um because it was so small in Canberra then and you were you weren't just beating these guys you were like predicting their moves two moves ahead and preventing it and I remember just watching that and it just like, to me, it seemed like you were psychic, like all their best moves that they would beat me with every day, you were preemptively stopping it and just all over them. And I was just... Yeah, unfortunately that didn't last forever. Those guys are all killers now. <laughs> probably because, you know, you probably had a hand in that, I think. Yeah, that, well, definitely. And, you know, I definitely, I got a lot better from training with, with all those guys because, you know, it's like you figure each other. We trained because there wasn't a real academy for a long time. And, and because of that... We kind of did our own little thing for the longest time, yeah. Um, and we didn't then join an academy. So for the longest time, basically, we had like we just called it garage jujitsu, and Dane yeah. had a big garage that had mats in it, and we would just train there all the time. And it was just like this little petri dish, you know. And we yeah. got used to each other's game, and we you know trained a lot. And then there was I remember then the, for a while, then Big J and Black Belt came from out of nowhere, this gigantic 
monster of a black belt kid. Yeah. So we were in there with him, and I remember just like <laughs> heading up there, kind of sweating, knowing that I was just going to be put in unpleasant situations and in a strange garage for, for 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, that was, um, that was pretty cool. Definitely, definitely learned a lot then. And now, of course, there are all these. But then I, I kind of never really fully emerged from the garage, even though I do train at different places nowadays. Yeah. Um, I still kind of, I keep my own little space, which with three kids and a full-time job makes it a lot easier to, to get some training in. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's underrated, the old little little lab, the little uh, garage. Yeah, it, like used to be, it used to be garage jiu-jitsu, now it's granny flat grappling, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically half of a granny flat. Yeah. Yeah, it's progressed. <laughs> Yeah, no, some magic happens out there for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, never, never underestimate the small research group. I guess like a lot of guys have done amazing things with those small um, sort of hotbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to figure it out. You just get all the good guys to come to you. You know, like that's the way to do it. It's great. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a funny thing for my kids, of course, because then the doorbell rings and they'll just be somebody opening the door. <laughs> In a rash guard with some talks, and but it's just part of the normal course of life for them. So. <laughs> yeah, probably not many kids have to put up with yeah. that. <laughs> Cauliflower yeah. men knocking on the door at all hours. <laughs> the neighbors are probably suspicious. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah, for pleasure. doing this. I know we were talking about doing this for. For ages, so I'm glad. Yeah, it's real time. fun. It's a cool, cool idea for the podcast. I'm glad to, uh, yeah, talk about my long and strange jujitsu journey, which is continuing hopefully for a good while longer. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Hopefully, we can get some training in today if uh, if you've got time. Get out to the granny flat. 